You're listening to Live Wild Radio, the part-time adventure podcast. Join us as we explore how outdoor adventures build mind, body, and spirit. So, Catherine, if you don't have time for an epic adventure, what should you do? Well, Winston, that's when you go on a micro-adventure. Micro-adventure? What's that? So, micro-adventures can be anything from what you can do part of a day, one day, a weekend, it doesn't matter this season. So today, we're excited to bring to our audience some ideas of that. Anything from, in fact, what you can do in your own communities, regardless of where you are, logistics, places you can go where you don't even need a a camping permit. Finally, what you can do with families, how you can connect with others that are like-minded. But at the end of the day, and we'd love to hear your ideas as well. So what are you most interested in? What do you want to talk about? What's what do that? I want to talk about? Yeah. Oh, I want to talk about rock climbing because that's what I like to do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Winston uh, is obsessed with yeah. rock climbing these days. Yeah, it's rock climbing and backpacking. Yeah. It's like, th- this is the thing. If you're, if you're short of time, get to scenes that life, there's so many things you like to do, but mm-hmm. you don't have time to do them all. Yeah. One of the little things I've done in my life is I sort of went through all the things I liked to do. Mm-hmm. And then which ones would mm. it make me the most sad if I could never do them anymore? And what that led to was uh, getting rid of everything but climbing, backpacking, and some mountain biking. Mm-hmm. Um, I do more. My bike needs to be like rebuilt and overhauled and upgraded because my rear brake doesn't work. So let's uh, talk about rock climbing then. Yeah. Uh, most cities... Uh, have indoor rock climbing gyms. Um, so that can be almost, it's, you know, you, you got to stretch your brain a little bit for it to feel like a real adventure. But uh, if nothing else, it's terrific pre- uh, preparation. Oh, sure. Like we just came back from the climbing gym. And, you know, the fitness, like the sport-specific fitness you'll mm-hmm. get for climbing outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of important because... If you're not in the shape to do the things you want to do, mm-hmm. um, when you do get the time to do them, yep. um, you're going to be miserable. <laughs> or you're not going to be able to get a lot in yep. in the time you have because you're just not fit enough. You do one climb and you're fried. Yep. Um, so that's where, where that fitness thing can really come in handy. And then it, it, the thing is look around uh, what you have around you. We're lucky enough that we've got the Niagara Escarpment 20 minutes, half an hour away. So on a summer night after work, oh, yeah. we can go climbing outside. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And that season for us in, in uh, southwestern Ontario would probably start as early as May. Yep. And goes as long as I, October. It, well, the the climbing season, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, because after June 21st, the days get shorter. That's true. Uh, yeah. You know... If you're done work at five. It's all about light. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if you basically, and it's sort of one of the problems you run into with some of the parks, they don't want you in there after dark. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, and if you parked in the park, which you have to, uh, they close the gate at night. Yeah. Um, which we've run into quite a few times. <laughs> uh, yeah. So should we tell the audience, aside from Kelso, where else to go around there? Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. uh You've got three different crags at Rattlesnake Point, okay. uh, which is, uh, you know, I think between all three, mm-hmm. uh, within a 15-minute hike from the parking lot, uh, you've got 250 climbs, I think. It's amazing, yeah. Um, then you've got Mount Nemo, mm-hmm. a little bit more of a trek in, so it doesn't do as well on the weeknight, mm-hmm. you know, when you just come after work, Yeah, uh, but... Definitely an awesome weekend destination, or if you get off early. Uh, if you're one of those uh, people like you who have that cush gig in the summertime where you're off at noon on Fridays, <laughs> uh, then obviously you've got a big chunk of time uh, as long as you... Got yeah, but some... you generally work, so I can't necessarily just take off. But... Yeah, but if you got, if you got some climbing... <laughs> I should make some other friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or the, the other thing is, you know, and this is a more advanced technique, but you can actually learn how to solo top rope. Uh, you know, you've, you've got a rigging system on. Right. And so as you climb, if you fall, you're just falling yeah. on the rope. You're sort of self-blaying. But so say there's somebody out there that wants to get into this. And, you know, outdoor rock climbing, 
holy crap. I mean, I did that first, really, before I even started indoor rock climbing, which is usually the reverse. So people are often really afraid. In fact, I think only 10% of those that go indoor rock climbing ever go outdoor. And that that's good because there's so many people indoors. If they all went outdoors, you'd never be able to find an open climb to climb on. There you go. But um, how do we get people to try it out if they want to? Are there classes you can take? I think uh, Rattlesnake Point, they were offering introductory lessons. Yeah, so there there are guide services, like certified in the mountains. You'd go with a certified mountain guide. Uh, when it's rock climbing, it's certified rock climbing guides. Mm-hmm. Or well, obviously, if, you, if you've got friends who, who are experienced, who can teach you. Right. Um, but you always hope what they're teaching you is good. Yeah. Uh, that you tie that knot properly and yeah. they know how to put anchors in and all that kind of jazz. Yeah. Uh, but if you... And not wear a 20-year-old harness. Oh, yeah. Well, whatever. <laughs> It was 23 years old. Uh, <laughs> I happened to give Catherine my old harness, and I thought it was my most recent old harness, which wasn't that old, um, but it was my old, old harness. Uh, but either way, that's a, it was free. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you shouldn't lick a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, here in Ontario, like if you hook up with a guide service, uh, like Leslie Tim's company, On the Rocks, uh, mm-hmm. cause they do classes both up at Metcalf rock in the Colobar uplands, yep. like on sort of the Northern escarpment. Okay. And then they also do nice. classes at Rattlesnake point. Uh, that would be fun to go up there. Yeah. Where they have classes. That's cool. Okay. Um, so you run into the thing where you can take the classes and they, yeah. they, they do multiple levels. So you can do an intro class just mm-hmm. to try outdoor climbing. Yeah. You can do a top rope class. Um, learning how to set up the anchors and, yeah. you know, uh, the basics of belaying, then sport climbing, uh, and then they do trad, which is uh, kind of my baby, where you start Wait. at the ground and climb and place your own anchors yeah. and, you know. So I think what's really cool is um, it can very much be a family affair. And I think most parents are going to be more comfortable starting indoors because truth be told, when I took my kids outdoors, I had nightmares days before we went and then to and then i found out my kids only went up four feet anyhow so it didn't matter <laughs> that, 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 that really was kind of funny because first we're, we're top roping like i'm not gonna you know do anything crazy with a five and a seven year old i think it was rattlesnake was the first place we went it was. with them yeah just because it's the easiest one to get to yeah and so we set up top ropes like they have beautiful glue-in bolted anchors at the top yes uh kind of stuff you could hang your truck off of mm-hmm. they're actually put in by and and monitored not like regular sort of climbing stuff where the first ascensionist puts it up and you don't know how old the bolts are that's right these have like little tags and they're monitored and you yeah. know Super so this safe. is this is bomber stuff because mm-hmm. they don't want us slinging the ancient cedar trees uh for top ropes which we used to do back in the day you know you're, you're talking like a three bolt uh redundant indestructible kind of (laughs) top rope anchor uh but but catherine was having you know kind of those oh my god what's gonna happen what's gonna happen yeah then when her kids kids. you know i tied them in and they got their little helmets on and their little climbing shoes and you know hudson's got his full body (laughs) harness on because he's too small for just a a sit harness and i could have just spotted them they didn't they didn't need to be roped in like literally they got high enough that you know well, they never got they never got high enough that I couldn't like just pick them up and take them off the yeah. wall. No, it was it was uh, I was thankful. <laughs> it, it eased me into it as well as much as it did them. You know, uh, rock climbing uh, indoor is a great way to get started. Though a lot of people are insecure about belaying, and, and I, I understand that, um, and they want to test it out. You know, I was lucky that you Winston you taught me right, but um, nonetheless, for people wanting to get into it, um, you know, you can do it all year round. It's a great great family activity i cannot say enough of that especially indoors and we do we go bouldering which means without ropes but you can also go to other gyms that have the ropes and you don't always need somebody to belay you they have an automatic belay um but regardless you and your kids can work on the same routes you can actually be at the same level and and really enjoy that time together so i can't say enough about it and it's so healthy you know, I can go on and on about how it teaches you to overcome your fear. It's technical, it's physical, and all around, it's a great community. And it's not a video game. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right. So let's let's um, 
move on from rock climbing and talk about. I'm the- bored now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick in then, um, <laughs> because actually it was a micro adventure that you know got me back into the outdoors and. Um, uh, I had met uh, a friend and, and actually it was, it was a date. Uh, we ended up just becoming friends. But was this Tinder? <laughs> it was, but I made a really good outdoor friend. And um, he actually introduced me to night hiking. I think it was in the winter around February. And so, you know, uh, I had never done that. So I went out and bought my headlamp and got micro spikes for my boots because at this time, of course, we were going in a, uh, you know, a hilly area and there's lots of snow and ice. And, but it was so beautiful with the, especially when you have either a full moon or, you know, or any moon that you can see um, in the winter. It's incredibly beautiful. Now, I've also done it in the summer. And when I did it in the summer, it was super, of course, it was super late. But I did it with my kids when we were up at, um, uh, in Tobamori. And uh, we went on a hike actually with no headlamp because um, your eyes eventually start to adjust. and uh, uh, oh, oh, warm people, as you get older, they stop adjusting. Yes. Because uh, I found once I was into my 40s, mm. uh, like low light conditions, yeah. uh, my, my eyes are shit now. Gotcha. <laughs> so, um, so that makes sense. It wasn't just me that was having a hard time seeing. <laughs> no. But of course, they encourage you to have headlamps with the red light, and that helps you to not have your eyes, I guess, um, or helps your eyes adjust to the dark. And uh, that's a fun experience. But let's talk about headlamps, because that whole experience, you need to have a good one. So can you talk about what you would look for in a headlamp and what the average lumens are out there? Like, I know they start around $20 for a cheap headlamp. So? Yeah, so... I work in an outdoor store, so that's why she's throwing over to me. I sell headlamps. Woohoo! It really does come into a power thing. So I would recommend to just about anybody, um, if you're going to do any kind of night hiking, a minimum of 200 lumens. Most headlamps are adjustable, so you don't have to run it on high mm-hmm. if you don't specifically need it. Uh, but particularly to be able to read a trail off in the distance, like landmarks you'd spot in the daylight, if you don't have enough power... You can often get lost <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you're not on a trail, but you miss the signs, you miss the markings, you miss the turns uh, if if you don't have enough light throw. So I'm getting to the point where, especially if it's treed in, so you're not getting, even if it is a, uh, the moon's out, mm-hmm. you're not getting a lot of light. Mm-hmm. Um, 300 lumens um, is pretty solid. You can get headlamps up to a thousand or more. But uh, I find... We're on a budget. Yeah. And so uh, what is the that average retail cost for? What is the <laughs> retail price and what are the brands you recommend? Yeah. So if you want something really reliable, uh, th- there's a number of good brands out there, but I would recommend like Petzl or Black Diamond because I've been using them for years. They're great bulbs, great reflectors, really good battery life. Um, I have a personal preference for Black Diamond because they're not just multiple settings, but they're dimmable Mm -hmm. uh, so that you can basically from high to low find exactly what brightness you want. Mm -hmm. Plus, um, everything from the Cosmo up, like the Cosmo, the Spot, the Revolt, the Storm, uh, all have a red LED as well. Red is nice because it's bright enough to see things up close. But it still preserves your night vision. So I'm just going to add the point that headlamp, that's one of your most important tools uh, that go in your emergency kit. That should always be in your backpack. Because, you know, when you're going on these micro adventures, if they are, in fact, during the day, a lot of people intend on coming back before dusk. But often you kind of don't. I mean, that happens to me all the time. Mm-hmm. So having a good headlamp is not just for an inten- you know, an intentional night hike, but it's always important to have in your backpack even during the day. Yeah, so that for me, that was my introduction. I I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. There was nothing like it. It made me. And it's f- quiet. It's quiet. It's you know, it was my first experience in particular was it was just so beautiful. Um, we actually went to the Huron. Oh man, the Huron Nature Area. No, it, uh, we were there. We went twice. We went there. The Hydro Cut. Yes, we went to the Hydro Cut to start, and so that's really hilly. But regardless, they're both gorgeous locations, a lot of fun. When do you go through a forest often? You know what I mean? On a weeknight. 
and feel like you saw something special, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and before that for me, you know, my desk job was nine to five. I'd go home, hardly walk. I mean, my gosh, you know, when I'm going to work, I probably put in 2000 steps a day. So I know people are going to be horrified when they hear that, but it just goes to show you can still inject hiking even at nighttime. Um, and it's just quite stunning. Um, the other thing that I did with our friend Brooks is he introduced me to sunrise hikes. So completely at the other end of the spectrum would meet up at a local trail at 5 a.m. Super early. So it was dark, hard to get up, but we did it. And, uh, you know, I'd always pack my work clothes in a gym bag because I'd go to a gym after that and shower. But essentially we'd get there. We would be out there for a couple hours, um, take a breakfast with us. And especially as a backpacker, you've got your portable stove and butane gas and, you know, you bring along some oatmeal and you're having breakfast by the water. Mm-hmm. So we sit there, we hang out, take some photos because I, you know, that's a lot of fun for me. Uh, of course, then by 630 construction truck start. So you no longer feel you're really necessarily in uh, the forest, but it's it's incredible. I've done that a couple of times and, you know, it's a great start to the, to the day. Like I'm not, I don't endorse that one because I don't like getting up early. <laughs> I'd much rather do the night hikes Yeah, and that, or even like obviously you need brighter lighting for mountain biking, but mm. whether it's night hikes, mountain biking, um, any of the things that w- with extra light allow you to get so much more out of your day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just, oh, the sun's going down. Activities are over. Yeah, uh, You can continue. And that that's always uh, kind of cool. Because one one of the other things you run into with it is it's just a different environment. Trails you've done a thousand times, mm-hmm. do it at night, it's a whole new trail. Well, I find too, going in the winter time, because of all the white from the snow, it makes, it's still kind of light out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas you're in the summertime going in the dark, well, at that point you're Well, probably- especially if it's tree, like the, the leaves are out, in the forest is dark. Yeah. So, you know, another great thing to do in the winter uh you know, if you like hiking is snowshoeing. Mm-hmm. And that was the other thing that I got into when I met you guys. And holy crap, like that, you know, it was all year round. So the winter doesn't stop you anymore, where a lot of people tend to hibernate. And a lot of people worry about the cold. And the beautiful thing about that and cross-country skiing is you don't need a lot of layers once you get going because mm-hmm. you're working. Yeah. The problem with cross-country skiing is you typically need a lot of snow to make that happen. But... And if, it, if you do, then that's great. But otherwise, there pretty much isn't any reason why you couldn't go snowshoeing. Uh, not very much amount of snow in this area. And because of the brightness of it, yeah. enjoy it even on a weeknight. Yeah. And you run into the thing where all of the little adventures, I always have it playing through my head that they're part, like I'm I'm on a big adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes that's just a mental trick to get you out. Yeah. But it gets you the physical training part of it. Because if you do want to do any of the big adventures, you know, a few times a year, you're able to get that, you know, go somewhere cool. If you're completely out of shape, it's no fun. And right. we, we know, you know, just being fit makes everything else in life better. And then you get the benefit of the challenge of a climb or... Uh, you know, the beauty of being in the forest, um, being places people aren't. Yeah, Um, that's true. Yeah. You know, all of those, like, I keep praying for the epic snow day. (laughs) Like the kind of thing, you know, that blizzard that shuts the city down pretty much. You know, they warn, it's like, if you don't have to go out, don't go out. Yeah, yeah. That's when I want to go out. Yeah. Yeah. I like being in environments where you don't belong. Yeah. You know, the snow's going sideways and it's drifting and basically fighting the wind. Uh, you might be able to see barely in front of you because especially at night with a headlamp on, uh, you get that Millennium Falcon, like the stars coming at you kind of effect, which is just super cool. So yeah. that's one of the things that I really enjoy. That's cool. Going back to your comment about fitness, one of the things that I really got into at your recommendation was our fasted hike in the morning because we were working on weight loss. So right before work, I'd spend about 45 minutes out there 
getting wearing a weighted vest about and you can start at 20 pounds um so especially if you're training for backpacking you can get going on that and I worked all the way up to 40 pounds and you know I'm out there for 45 minutes and meanwhile I haven't eaten breakfast yet but I've had some coffee or taken a caffeine tablet and you're in fat burning mode especially Mm -hmm. if you stick to the fat burning mode of your heart rate yeah and so I found those morning hikes spectacular I could not believe what it does for your mood to get your dosage of nature in the morning and it was a time that you know it's a time that I also listen to podcasts sometimes you know and and it's it's my time it's so good for you so uh, I need to get back into that but it's something that is great for fitness great for weight loss suppresses your appetite holy crap yeah at least it did for me and it's phenomenal for just having fitness energy during the day absolutely so I think what a lot of people ask is okay I'm I'm in I want to try some of this stuff but where do I find out about it and one of my favorite uh, tools that our friend Brooks introduced me to is the All Trails app. And essentially, it's a collection of people's treks, you know, um, so there's a map and it shows what trek that they did. They're rated. There's also photos of those trips and it gives you some stats about the the distance, the level of difficulty, the elevations, so that you can search based on these criteria. Mm-hmm. And so you can look at a map and there's all these dots of all these trips that you can do in the area. So I have found it's really opened my eyes as to what's even my local area. So great, great tool. When it, and it's great too, like if you go somewhere um, with like a specific trail in mind, like mm-hmm. you say you're doing a weekend trip, it lets you then see all the other stuff. Yeah. Basically, it's, it's uh, because it just shows you whatever's around you mm-hmm. and you can zoom in, zoom out. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're discovering trails that you didn't see on the internet you didn't see but people have done them so they're there yeah and then you can record your trek as well and leave your comments but that's kind of cool if you're into stats Mm -hmm. and another thing and this is what i tend to do a lot more of is i love searching google maps like i'll just you know open up google maps i'll What's it called? OpenStreetMap.org, which is kind of the Wikipedia of maps. They've got all these different layers, so you can see topographical maps. And if people have hiked it because people can contribute, it's kind of Mm -hmm. like all trails, but it's not like a for-profit thing because all trails, you know, it's Oh, that's true. Where people have hiked things. Like, I found, like, the Hydrocut mountain bike trails, the Push Lynch mountain bike trails, Mm There's no specific maps of those online anywhere, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they're on those. Um, you've got Little Tract. You've got, uh, yeah. Like I've, I've, and we, and just for the audience um, who don't aren't familiar with the region of Waterloo, this area isn't particularly hilly. Uh, now, aside from the Grand River that goes right through the region, what is beautiful? My first impression of coming here, I, I didn't think that there were a lot of trails, but in fact, there are. So. It's a great tool. Yeah. And one of the things, too, is is learning the area you're in. Because we have the Grand Valley Hiking Trail goes through here. And usually when a trail goes through an area, then there's a whole bunch of side trails that go off of it, mm-hmm. which allow you to make loops. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the Speed River Trail that goes from Cambridge to Guelph. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, agreement forests that have... A lot of times they don't have a trail going anywhere, but they're, mm-hmm. they've got a whole bunch of loop trails through them. Mm-hmm. And then there's all the city trails along the river. And a lot of the stuff interconnects because the Trans-Canada Trail comes through Cambridge as well, which is more of like a crushed stone park path all the way through. Right. But having all of those different trail networks and a lot of them crisscross each other, you can do little loops and... You know, and then they're not the kind of thing where you're going to go, oh, my God, I can't believe I climbed that mountain. Yeah. But it it's that mini escape. Yeah. Or so micro I, escape, if we will. <laughs> my favorite trail here is the Puss Lynch uh, Conservation Area. They have, a, I don't know, over 20 kilometers. It's over 30. 30 kilometers of trails. And there's great intermediate uh, mountain biking trails there, too. Yeah. Very close to the Puss Lynch Lake, uh, which I've gone kayaking in. Anyways, that's a really cool Justin area. Bieber lives there. <laughs> he, we, he bought a house in Cambridge you or know post lunch. We should post this on Justin Bieber's fan club. <laughs> 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 Get some new audience. 
Um, but otherwise, my favorite, most favorite trails in, in southwestern Ontario are anything to do with the Bruce Trail. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That itself could be a great micro-adventure for people to do. They don't have to do it all in 30 days, which I know you did. And it's actually quite difficult to through-hike because there isn't a lot of resupply options or the ability to camp legally on it. But a lot of people really enjoy doing bits and parts of it mm-hmm. a day, you know, over, you know, they usually day, a, a day at a time. But, and there and there's a club. Um, so can you just talk about the Bruce Trail a little bit for those that don't know about it? So the Bruce Trail is a, the Ontario knockoff of the Appalachian Trail. They even use white blazes. Uh, it's about 750 kilometers long, goes from Niagara to Tobermory. Uh, if you look on a map, you'll see, you know, uh, where Niagara and where Tobermory are. Predominantly following the Niagara Escarpment, which is kind of the only, in southern Ontario anyway, the only substantial hill. <laughs> it's kind of like between Cambridge and Toronto, there's like this ridge, and that's the escarpment. Mm-hmm. Um, the trail kind of follows that up and down the ridge. And, you know, you you have some rugged bits here and there. Mm-hmm. Some of it's like walking on dirt road because they couldn't get access rights to the property. But it, it, but it's a pretty good trail. Yeah. Uh, my complaint with it, it's well marked. Mm-hmm. Uh, my complaint is that to have a 700-kilometer-long trail that you can't legally camp along yeah. is shit. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. Because if, if there was legal camping, like, you know, you had the campsites and shelters mm-hmm. every 15 kilometers like you do on the AT. That's right. It would be a destination. It would be, yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, at the northern tip uh, in Tobamori, there are two locations or three that you can camp at, but they're few and far between. I think in total there might be like 10 or 12 spots. That's it. But that's yeah. not a lot. And, um, and that's in the I, national park. That's right. Now, what I will say, and that's actually where I took my kids backpacking the first time. It was a super friendly, actually, it's a great way to introduce kids. The area is stunningly beautiful, Tobamori. Uh, you'll not see crystal clear blue Caribbean colored water anywhere else, I think, inland um, in Canada, maybe the U.S., but it's all because of the limestone. Yes, but it might be Caribbean colored, but it's not Caribbean temperatured. <laughs> no, it's super cold. Uh, but fortunately, that's just the one side, which is on the coast of Georgian Bay, because the other side of the peninsula is like Huron. And it's, oh my gosh, you could go for kilometers and the water is still at your ankle. So you can imagine how that sandy you know, area is warm. And so it is, um, it's warm and murky, but it is very be- suddenly beautiful. There's a couple of grottos in that area. Great place to go. Kid and family friendly, but nonetheless, micro adventures, as we were talking about, you can do that. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people do, and there's a passport, you know, people, uh, aim to get it completed for the stops they make along the way. And, and the hiking is beautiful. So, uh, and in Tobamori, you're, the hike is on uh, the cliffs there, and that's probably maybe 100 feet high. Yeah. And there's actually rock climbers that go there, which we should try that sometime. That's not very good climbing. No? No. Well, that's too bad. Anyway, that's, you know, that's definitely a great micro-adventure. But let's talk about your marathon adventures. I'm just going to paint a picture. This isn't me because I've never been a high-powered executive. But, you know, you're that, that during the week at work, you're like that type A you know, get shit done, uh, achiever. Well, in your fun time, you're probably that too. Uh, so this is, this is going out to you. It's the, basically the adventure starts in the morning and this, it's all going to be dictated by where you live. But I'm thinking of stuff that I've done where like I would ride from home on my bike out to the cliffs and Milton Mm-hmm. and climb all day, and then ride home. Mm-hmm. Then it's about a 40-kilometer bike ride. So you end up with 80K biking in mm-hmm. at the minimum, depending on the route you take, and then you end up with X number of pitches of climbing. Mm-hmm. Or if, you, if you've got a trail network that allows you to do a big loop, mm-hmm. start like basically before the sun comes up, yeah. And finish when the sun's going down. Yeah. Take your lunch. Take your snacks. Yeah. Like, make it an epic. But the person who's who's that kind of 
achiever probably yeah. probably has done triathlons and right. you know they're they're going for shit sure you know mm-hmm. and now they're looking for something that's more adventurous so let's say they haven't done that they haven't done the triathlons but well now they got to go train and everything first no 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 because no. they're going to get injured if they but go they, do big but they things. still need that break so mm-hmm. what would be a reasonable amount of time where they don't hurt themselves yeah because overuse it. injuries can be a be a thing and blisters yeah. and all that kind of thing yeah, so so I wouldn't recommend the marathon to somebody who is out of shape. Right. First off. If you're just getting out there like five to ten, give or take, yeah. Yeah. And and you don't want super hilly or super rugged terrain if you haven't done it before. Yeah. But one of the things too is is finding things to explore that you might actually not get very far, yeah. but because of where you are you're exploring can be pretty cool. Like when we went down uh, over Boxing Week, we went to Rock City State Forest in New York. Mm-hmm. Which is on the other side of Ellicottville, Holiday Valley. Yeah. Uh, so so you have this really, really popular ski resort. And on the backside of the hill is McCarty State Forest. And that joins Rock City State Forest. And what the Rock City is, is like this whole mini canyons and caves. Mm-hmm. So you might not actually cover a whole lot of terrain if you're in there exploring. But there's free camping. Now there's... Two different types of camping, um, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's what's effectively free car camping because you can, in the summer, you can drive in. In the winter, we had to hike in because the, the gate on the access road is closed for the winter because it's not plowed. Yeah. So it was a three kilometer hike on a dirt road. That was easy. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was icy. Yeah. Like that was the only obstacle, we'll say. But when you get in there, there is these campsites, there's picnic tables, fire pits. But there's only four or six of those campsites yeah. that are right on the road. So those are first come, first serve. And then you can also camp dispersed locations or what they call dispersed camping. And with that, it needs to be 150 feet or 200 feet away from a water source, trail, or road. Mm-hmm. So that can be a little bit trickier because unless you find spots people have used before. Yeah. Because finding a nice flat bit of ground yeah that's basically as long as you meet those minimum thresholds you can basically camp anywhere Mm -hmm. but then there's the primitive sites in which there are maps that show and it's free camping that they're designated areas that already exist and in the states this is the beautiful thing you don't have to book them they're available they're to be used first come Um, first serve and they're generally taken care of well maintained like in other words you're not having to deal with you know trees are about to fall and because that's often a concern about just you know camping anywhere because you really got to take a good look around at the tree situation and in the states there's a lot of those options and we ran into the situation when we checked out rock city which we highly recommend and that's within three hours from here yeah two and a half ish yeah yeah Uh, highly uh i would say family friendly kids would find it incredibly interesting and there's some loop trails through there so you can actually do a multi-day yeah like backpack loop hike through too definitely something you can do on a weekend doesn't cost you much um and and even if you go in the summer and it is booked or it's taken we guarantee in those areas you can find dispersed camping or or more ideally i would look on a map for primitive camping now what maps would you suggest looking at it do you go to the land management bureau is that what it is well in this case it's the new york department of environmental conservation the dec they're also the people that run the adirondacks so the dec rangers Mm -hmm. shout out are busy as hell because they're the ones rescuing all the hiker tourists who get lost (laughs) uh, in the dacks and where on the website would you go? Where, where'd you, where would you find that information? Once you know an area, like if you want to yep. know about it, yep. it's like search like hiking trails or a hiking map for whatever it is you're looking for. Rock City State for it. All of the maps will usually have, uh, uh, once you sort of yep. learn the areas, they'll have like designated campsite markers. Yeah. Because on this last trip, then... We also went into Pennsylvania, and it was kind of a weird trip because we didn't car camp, but we were never, I think the furthest we were from the car was 3K. Yeah. Uh, so and the one day was a half a kilometer. Uh, yeah. It was weird. 
So it was, it wasn't car camping, but it wasn't like epic backpacking either. It was a micro adventure. Yeah, sure was. We even got to hit the REI. Yeah. In Rochester, New York. Climbing section sucked. But I bought my backpack. Yeah. Which was the whole mission. Exactly. Because you can't find this ultralight Osprey Asia. Yeah. In Canada. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. You got your backpack correct. So that's really cool. And then when you look at the summertime, I think what's interesting about the States, and for some reason, it must be because of the altitude, but it doesn't seem to breed a lot of your insects that irritate us back in Ontario. Like in Ontario, you can't go up north, you're dealing with horse flies, black black flies, flies, mosquitoes. mosquitoes. It's like swamp infestation. Like it's, it's ridiculous and really doesn't get good until maybe about August. Yeah. It starts to calm down. What I loved is when I went to the Adirondacks, and I was also in Allegheny mm-hmm. in June. I wasn't dealing with bugs at all. Well, I think that's a big deal. And then, of course, we were there in April. Yeah, and amazing trip. I won't tell you about that location. It's a hidden gem, Black Forest Trail in Pennsylvania, near Slate Run. Yes, beautiful. And if you like fly fishing, oh my god, great location. There's great B and Bs there, but. It was so beautiful. We, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm just going to dive right into that. We arrived probably about 1 a.m. Yeah. How much of a drive is that? Five hours from Cambridge? Yeah, because we stopped for dinner. So. Okay. So you're, it's pretty much rural driving. We arrived, and it wasn't long off from the trail that you know we, we found a spot because we mm-hmm. were on the trail, and you could hear the water, and that was fine. And it, you know, so we set up camp. In the morning, you wake up. And I remember I was getting up to go to the bathroom and we we're on the hot, this bit of a ridge that eventually tapered down to the water. It is one of the prettiest campsites, it's huge trees. Um, and there were some sites, you know, that we could have taken advantage of had we known that they were there, but it took you right nice down to the water and it was just beautiful. I took some great pictures there, some great swimming holes. It was just gorgeous. And then then we packed up, and not even a kilometer, we um, went to the start of the trail, and there was a little store. And they sold a ton of equipment and items for, you know, fly fly fishing, because that's a mecca, apparently, mm-hmm. and there's a B&B. And, but it was so scenic. Um, well, I think, I think part of the reason both northern Pennsylvania and then the Adirondacks mm-hmm. is you don't have the standing water of all the lakes, and ponds and everything like you yeah. do in Algonquin yeah. and all yeah. through Ontario. Everything is moving hilly and steep. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't get the same bug infestations. Yeah. I think that's probably. Yeah. Uh, we had fantastic conditions for backpacking because yeah. it was really nice weather. It was always overcast, but really hot because the start of our climb was, was 1200 feet. You know, it was a good, you know, grade. And, um, you know, yet we had this beautiful mist keeping us cool. Because mm. I would imagine a hot and humid day, you wouldn't enjoy that so much. No, it would have melted. But this trail, so your friend Kaylee did it all in one shot. And I believe, what's the total? 70, Six, 69K. 69K. So she did it. She's a power horse. She did the PCT to give you an Pacific Crest Trail to give me an idea of what she, you know, she's done. And for us at that time, my knees were bothering me again. Or it was actually my first through hike. On a mini trip. Yeah. Okay. I don't even know if you'd call it a through hike, but a backpacking weekend. And I think we did it for three days and mm-hmm. we did maybe 40, 35K. It so was 42. 42K. Yeah. The loop we did. Yeah. I think we cut it short because I think we were, we were intending on doing the whole thing. Yeah. But my knees were really bugging me because you're up, down, up, down. Um, you know, your average is about 1200 in elevation that you do a day. And of course, going down is sometimes harder. But it was my first time experiencing what happens when you go over a ridge. And the ecosystems were so different, mm-hmm. you know, from, you know, very forested, camping at the top of the mountain, which was beautiful. Um, and then descending and then winding in a valley of streams and different kind of trees, crossing the stream like a thousand times. But it was beautiful. And the, and the, the height of the trees you know, and this is one of the the, the comedy um, acts that we went through was trying to hang our, our food um, because the minimum, the lowest branch was probably 30 feet. Yeah. And this one night, you know, we actually got to our campsite really late. And we knew the most important thing was hanging our food. Um, it took us over an hour and a half. <laughs> 
trying of attempting to yeah, hang just, our yeah. food. No, and, neither of us had ever played Major League Baseball, so our pitching of the the rock, you know, with the rope tied to it, yeah. wasn't so good. But it was our first time getting to know each other in, in a strenuous, you know, not a strenuous, it's not even strenuous, but it could be nerve-wracking and I had blisters and it was, you know, we were tired. I was tired. We were really calm about it. I think we I even made jokes about it mm-hmm. and eventually we got it. And then after that, we said, screw it, we're, I'm getting a bear canister. Yeah, we just take bear canisters with us all the time yeah, now. we don't want to deal with that. So much easier. And for those people who've never used a bear canister, it's about two and a half pounds. It can carry up to five days food, usually if I think for one person, something like that. But essentially, when you close the lid, you use coins to uh, turn the levers um, on the inside to lock it. Mm-hmm. So it makes it pretty much impossible. It's it's the, the Garcia engineering. It's about a hundred bucks. And essentially it's the canister of choice by the Adirondacks and they will not allow you to go in and they'll even rent you one if you don't have one. Yeah. Cause there's certain, certain areas that because of the amount of traffic and the amount of bears, they don't allow bear hangs like in the Sierra Nevada in California and the Adirondacks in New York. And I, there's probably a few other places that you have to use a bear canister, an approved bear canister. Mm-hmm. So being that we need them for there, we just got them and we just use them all the time now because it also makes yeah. a great stool. It does. And um, it's it's highly worth it for the aggravation of, you know, having to properly, and there's a proper way to hang your food. And we can talk about that in detail some other time. But the other thing that's really cool about the Black Forest Trail when it comes to micro adventures, sometimes you wind up on a trail and you're a little bit unsure, can I finish it? Mm-hmm. So you say, ah, screw it. I'm not going to do it. The beautiful thing about this particular trail is that there's so many loops that get attached to it that take you back to the road. You can cut it short. Yeah. You know, and, and, and if you're doing your first through hike like that on a weekend and you're going to venture out and do it, you don't always have to commit 100%, especially, you know, some people are dealing with injuries and they don't know what it's going to be like. So... Funny enough, I think I did a solo trip. I did do a solo trip. And another great destination is in Allegheny was Tracy Ridge and also Morrison Trail. You know, sites that you don't, again, have to book. These are considered to be, I would say, um, dispersed camping in some cases. And in some cases, they also have primitive campsites that are established. First come, first serve. Um and they also had a lot of organized ones, like that were campgrounds. It was on the honor system that you would pay. In some cases, it was just like 12 bucks a night. Great locations, great area. But, um, you know, when I was doing my solo trip, I chose to go where there was more people and where you could do loops and not be concerned about changing your plans. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other trip that I think would be pretty interesting that is not too far away, I think it's around five hours, is the 100... Sorry, the West Rim Trail in Pennsylvania. Yeah, because I think that one follows the Pine Creek Valley. They call it the Grand Canyon of the East. And it's 52 kilometers. Yeah, and I think that one would be probably most beautiful in the fall. Yeah. With the changing of, you know, the leaves and the colors. When the thing that's really cool with that one is, well, it's not a loop. There's a company called Pine Creek Outfitters. And they run a shuttle service. Mm-hmm. So, because they're located right on the trail, you park at their store or yeah. their location. They drive you to the other end of the trail and drop you off, mm-hmm. and you just walk back to your car. Yeah. So you're committed to that one, right? Now, you, from your knowledge, because you haven't done it either, do you know if you can cut it short in any way? I mean, it's all you can get off the roads, but then you're going to hitchhike. Back. You're going to hitchhike, which you know what? That could be an adventure. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I just I'll have to share it on our, our webpage on Facebook, Live Wild Radio. Um, Sarah Duma, who's uh, somebody that you're going to hear on one of the other episodes, she did a, a great podcast uh, or a YouTube about hitchhiking, especially if you're by yourself. So I thought that was great because sometimes there are cases in an emergency or uh, or out of necessity, like the Pacific Crest Trail, you're going to have to hitchhike. Yeah, like so, any of us that have through-hiked. Which I've never done, so if my first hitchhike would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, w- when you're any kind of through-hiking, whether it's the AT or PCT, when you hit a crossroad, so this is the road, you know, the trail crosses, so you've got to go off into town to resupply. Well, if town is 10 miles away, I don't want to walk. 
right? So you throw your thumb out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's funny because hitchhiking isn't that popular anymore in general. Mm-hmm. But I, I find on the trails, throw your thumb out, somebody will pick you up. Would you say that's more so in the States than in Canada? Um, I feel like that's the case. Me, I, just because I've never done a trip in Canada that because our most of our areas are more remote, yeah, like Queen Elizabeth or Algonquin, yeah. or they they don't really ever lend themselves. Although I have, oh, I've asked people. Maybe this is hitchhiking, except that I didn't have to stick my thumb up. I was just at the trailhead because my friend and I, Xiaopu, we hiked, you know, about eight kilometers along the Bruce Trail. It was one of the most r- rigorous plots of it but we didn't want to backtrack because that's we we would have to to go to our car and i said screw it we'll get an uber well we get to you know uh the main area uh i can't remember what it's called the trailhead where the grotto is Mm -hmm. there's no uber there's no way to call a taxi so we were at the mercy of basically just asking people (laughs) to take us back and they could only fit one of us as one car and i did it so got our car and then came back yeah yeah. No, we've run into that. Like when Katie and I, a couple of years I ago, no were down on the AT, mm-hmm. uh, when we, which notch was it? Because any of the times you come out of the mountains down into the valley, they call it a notch. And it wasn't Kingsman, Franconia notch. And we got down, you know, off the, but to a trailhead and it was a big parking lot. And we just chatted with some people. And they took us into town. Yep. Now, they had a huge-ass RV, so it was awesome. Uh, but, it, uh, you know, it was still quite a few miles away yeah. to, to Lincoln uh, or North Woodstock, I guess is what we had dropped in, New Hampshire. So we just didn't have to walk it. That was the one where the flea bag motels were all booked up with hikers. Right. So we went to this, like, nice bed and breakfasty place. Mm-hmm. And... Because the son of the owner had hiked the AT, yeah, uh, and this place is regularly like two fifty a night. It's it's where you take you know your special lady or you know fella or you know whatever uh, on like your fortieth anniversary. Wow, you know like that. You, That's what it was. You got it in for what free? No, uh, but we got uh, like there was four of us, so it's regularly two fifty a night. Mm-hmm. We got it for half price. Yeah. And then we got meal vouchers for breakfast the next day. Yeah. Uh, so it ended up being 30 bucks each. Yeah. And so then we walked down the street to the, there was like a supermarket-y thing. Yeah. Uh, bought enough food for like the most kind of like fucked up smorgasbord. Went back to the fancy hotel. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because we had like all of the, the salads, like the macaroni salad and the potato salad and had nice buns and all the meats and the potato chips and ice cream and donut. Um, Isn't that sometimes referred to as a little bit of trail magic? No, trail magic's free. Okay, but this was quite generous. This was a good deal, yeah. Trail magic is when, you know, still the, the, I would say like one of the best trail magics Mm -hmm. was we were finishing the 100-mile wilderness. yeah. And there was just a like a, just a shit dirt road, mm-hmm. and there was a sign mm-hmm. that said "Trail Magic" a quarter mile this way. Now we could have been going to our death because you know that's how you lure hikers in. <laughs> um, but we went over there. There's a cabin in the woods, yeah. which is a scary horror movie. But there was a guy with a barbecue. Nice and like we just got treated. He had coolers. He had pop and beer. Yeah, an ice cold beer after you've been. You know, drinking. Oh man! You know, water. filtered. Now it was mountain water, so it was still pretty good. But and he made us like pasta with tomato sauce and meatballs. Wow! And then burgers and hot dogs. Oh and, my goodness! And he had ice cream. What? And, like it was, it was, it was magic. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course, there's not much conversation going on at that meal. So, uh, <laughs> nice. That that was part of not a micro adventure, but gotcha. But trail magic's pretty fucking cool. If you sort of start thinking like ways of you know either being a friendly person to ask people for for a lift yep. at a trailhead or yep. hitchhike, 
I've, I've hitchhiked a ton and I've never been yeah. killed. And, and most people who are picking you up are looking for a story. I know we picked up some hitchhikers when we were out in uh, the Yukon on the Dempster Highway. We were returning back from Inuvik, going back to Dawson City, and there were some miners, and we picked them up, and we heard all about their stories for the next six hours, and that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But, um, okay, so here's a question. So you've got folks that know where they want to go, but they don't have anybody to go with. What's your suggestion? Make a new group of friends. Where do you start? Uh, well, if it's climbing, be social when you go to the climbing gym because you're not going to climb outdoors if you don't climb indoors, probably. Yeah, and I would say out, even outside of climbing, people who are probably there are probably inherently adventurous. Uh, yeah, be it's friendly. Cool. Like, and I find climbing gyms foster that. Like you, yeah. People give you beta, they which is tips on how to do the climb. You know which way to move, mm-hmm. and then. You know, you kind of cheer each other on and high five or fist bump when the you know you it's pull true, something off. You know, it's yeah. a very very strong camaraderie. Yeah. Um, and then you just get chatting, yeah. right? Because you're excited about this shit. If it's climbing, climbing gyms are awesome. Uh, go make friends with the people at your local outdoor store. Yeah, uh, that's how you've taken a lot of people out. Yeah, like yeah. Th- quite honestly, my job. Like, I don't have to look for people. Pe- people want me. Uh, which sounds cocky, but it's more just a thing where I know all the cool places. <laughs> so go stalk <laughs> the outdoor store and find somebody you can latch on to. Just don't be creepy. Yeah. Um, I thought what was really cool was there's a new Facebook page for in Ontario called um, Two Things. So there's Ontario Backcountry Camping. Great resources of people's experiences, uh, where they're going. But the founder of that created another Facebook page called Wanted Ontario Backcountry for folks that are going on trips and they want people to come along with them or Mm -hmm. people who want to go on trips. So I think that's a great resource. I mean, you're taking a risk. You don't know the folks. I think they should start rating people kind of like on Airbnb. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) For maintenance and, you know, uh, attitude. Anyways, because it's Hygiene. Yeah, yeah. I'd get low ranks on that one out on the trail. But um, I think that's a fabulous idea. I would say what's interesting in the States is REI, which is our equivalent of MEC. In fact, REI has been out a lot longer than MEC. Um, Than I think the 1940s. So REI, a really cool place. They actually put a lot of time into uh, identifying places around, surrounding that particular office um, or location. But they also organize trips. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. I would say your local meetups, um, you know, and going back to weekdays, what yeah, to do. Meetup.com. Yeah. And there's also groups that tend to organize uh, trips on the weekend. Um, well, and if you're here in Ontario, go on Facebook and look up the Passionate Paddler and the Passionate Peaker. It's the same guy. It's just he, the peaker is his climbing in the winter, mountain climbing, and then the passionate paddler is his canoe trips. It's our buddy, David Lee. Mm-hmm. David is constantly taking new people out. So, and most of the time to go on a trip with him, all you got to do is go, I'll go. And, <laughs> and he'll take it. Now, yeah. bear in mind that you'll, you'll learn a lot. Um, and he, and he's a super, super nice guy. He's like very earnest and passionate yeah. about the outdoors. Yeah. Hence the passionate paddler and peaker, but he's also a lunatic. So, if you want kind of that 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 jump in with both feet with somebody who will keep you safe, mm-hmm. but will also run you through the meat grinder. Yeah, uh, David's your guy. He's type two fun, but at yeah. the end of the day, he's willing to you know take people along, and that's that's an awesome experience and opportunity. Lastly, because we're we're nearing the end of our episode, but let's just talk about some epic trips uh, where you want to hop on a plane. You've got a few days, a weekend, and you can do this. Mm -hmm. What are your top destinations? So with both the hiking, climbing kind of triumvirate there, Mm -hmm. number one's got to be Vegas, right? You could get cheap airfare to Vegas. Red Rock is like 17 miles out of town. Mm -hmm. Uber out there. (laughs) Yeah, if you really wanted. If you know, once you know the area a little bit, I think it's Lowell Canyon's got free camping. You've got, obviously, Airbnbs, you know, if you just yep. want to climb but not uh, camp. Yeah. Um, there's, if you go just a little bit, 
it's less than an hour out of town. You got Mount Charleston. Yeah. Uh, Death like, Valley's nearby. Yeah. Um, but basically, Mount Charleston is uh, Vegas is at twenty seven hundred feet. Mm-hmm. Mount Charleston's almost twelve thousand. Mm-hmm. And it's you know I think about an hour hour and a half away. Yeah. So yeah. you can and then the, the hikes just in the Red Rock canyons because yeah. you've everybody thinks of Vegas as this. Uh, you know, it's the party town, it's the gambling and the, and the fancy shows, Yeah, but Vegas is surrounded by mountains. Yeah. It's incredible. The diversity from the black mountains near Hoover Dam. And I would love to hike around there. Like it's, it's rock that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I collect rocks and dirt. I've got a whole collection at home. I collect dirt, but not on purpose. It's just, <laughs> I come back and I'm covered in it. So, and then if you have a little bit more time, then venturing out into Utah, uh, within about two and a half, three hours, you're running into the canyons there as yeah. far as the, the national state parks, such as Bryce Canyon, Zion. Yeah. Well, and another way to go is go into Salt Lake City and just out, well, not even, I guess technically it's outside of town, but it, but it's almost in town. You've got Big Cottonwood Canyon, Little Cottonwood Canyon, like the Wasatch Mountains are right there. If you go on, like, you know, Google Street View and do your 360 panorama, like in down, you know, like in an area around Salt Lake City. Yeah. It's, again, just surrounded by mountains. It's all just super accessible. And so to just clarify what are the resources to find primitive camping in those areas where would what would you search uh so freecampsites.net mm-hmm. um, is a really good one for free camping then look up like once you've sort of looked on a map and zoomed in on an area mm-hmm. um you figure what it's called right because mm-hmm. it shows it on the map right then look it up and then you start to see if there's campsites and it'll identify prim- and, uh, primitive ones yeah, and because uh, you look up this wilderness area map Mm -hmm. and boom, you find the map. Uh, And then also just look up what the rules are um, because everything is managed by somebody, whether it's the Mm -hmm. Bureau of land management or the forestry service, generally speaking in the States, Mm -hmm. if it is a forest, there will be free camping. So if it's a national forest or state forest Mm -hmm. with certain rules, there will be free camping first come first serve as long as you follow the rules. State parks and national parks, it's usually designated campsites. There might be sort of backcountry stuff, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's permits. Um, So if you want it to to be both low cost and the kind of choose your own adventure Mm -hmm. um, and not plan. Yeah. Right. You know, so that you can do it on the fly. Yeah. That's where the uh, state forest and national forests really come in or wilderness areas. Yeah. Anything that is park, you pay. Yeah. Remember, if it's P, you pay. If it's F, it's free. Ooh, I like that. I just made that up. But the <laughs> state forests generally yeah. are free. The state parks are pay. Yes. And so Salt Lake, you're talking about rock climbing, backpacking, camping, but like I said, like my, you know, in April, we're going down to Red Rock. The thing that I love is that you have, you know, because it's all mountains and canyons mm-hmm. in a really small area as yeah. far as just, you know, square miles go. Yeah. You've got over 3,500 climbs. Yeah. Um, but then if you're taking like a rest day. You, there's trails up the mountains. Yeah. Like, so there's hikes too. Yeah. And then there, you can also just, not even trails, but you can just explore. Yeah. Right? Like there's <laughs> these wild little mini canyons and formations and, you know, ridges and it's slots. Amazing. And, I, and I think that, that adventures can't always be on a two-week time period. So with what we're talking about, going to places that you don't have to worry about permits and planning and uh, that there's a good supply of them is a big deal. And mm-hmm. so this is why we love the States. Shout out to the U.S. Yeah. Um, because you guys do a great job in making that happen. You have the most abundant supply. You've got great volunteers taking care of them. There's lots to, to explore down there. And that's what an adventure is all about, is not knowing what you're going to do next. Listen, one of the things that we're looking forward to doing is taking uh, some live or some podcast recordings uh, when we're out there. I'm excited about getting some equipment to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that Vegas may very well be the time that we do it. Um, So stay tuned. Yeah. 
So anyway, if you guys like our podcast, obviously subscribe, go on to iTunes and give us like, please just five star reviews. Even if you only think we're worth three, you know, we're a new podcast. Like. So until right. next time, I'm Winston. And I'm Catherine. And this has been Live Wild Radio.